0: Constantinople has fallen, and all across Europe, ancient vampires known as Methuselah rise to claim vast territories as their own. This is the War of Princes, where the political maneuvering of old stands side by side with the armies of ghouls and canines clashing in the night. But vampires are not the only ones making this land their own. In the wild places, the Guru have their cairns. Mages have ancient sites of power for magic. The Shadow Inquisition has risen to eradicate the enemies of God, and the enigmatic Fey have their own plans. Welcome. The Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 6 of season 2 of the World of Dark Ages podcast, nitpicking our way through the Dark Ages line. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, I've just come off out of COVID.
1: It seemed like I couldn't dodge it forever, but I'm doing sort of okay. Uh, what about you? Well, I've, I've managed to dodge COVID, but I've, I've got something. So for the last five days or so, I've been running a fever. Uh, so if I'm more uh, incomprehensible than, than usual, then that, that's I'm going to blame the fever. <laughs> uh. Well... I mean, I I don't hallucinate anymore, so that's at least something. Oh, wow. Uh, Hopefully it was at least fun hallucinations. Uh, Not really from what I could remember. But but yeah, the first night when I, I was having a really high fever, it was just really really weird uh, well uh
0: let's go from uh, from weird to uh mages in the middle uh, ages so after vampire the dark ages was published most of the other lines got their historical books as well you had werewolf the wild west mage the sorcerer's crusade and wraith the great war uh changing never got one i don't actually know if it was ever mentioned what kind of historical setting they would be Getting. Uh, have you ever played any of those
1: historical settings other than than Dark Ages? No, I don't think so. Um might have played Werewolf: The Wild West, or or at least looked through the books, but but never really played anything. No, mm. I've I've played
0: a really amazing Wild West campaign. My wife ran it. We were um, we were all playing Wendigo, three hommets, and mm. and I was playing a lupus, and it was it was a really really amazing campaign. And then I've tried Sorcerer's Crusade. I can't remember if I played it once or twice. It never really lasted that long. But I will say I really think Sorcerer's Crusade is fun and. I like it more than I like Mage: The Ascension, the modern day
1: one. Is is that set during one of the actual Crusades, or when is that set?
0: No, it's set after the Crusades. It's set in the mid-late fifteenth century. Uh, and and so it's it's all uh, tech wizards having uh, fun,
1: new firearms and. All sorts of stuff. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so magic basically, the old versus the new and stuff like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And and we had a, we had a lot of a
1: lot of fun with it. Uh, now the, these lines they sold fine,
0: but it was clear that Dark Ages was the favorite. And so when they made the second edition of Dark Ages, they decided to make a Dark Ages version of some of the other lines. That's why the name was changed from Vampire the Dark Ages to Dark Ages vampire since the other lines would then be dark ages mage dark ages werewolf dark ages inquisitor which is the dark ages version of hunter and eventually towards the end of the line dark ages fey uh which was changing in the dark ages wraith never got a dark ages book and i don't know enough about wraith to hazard a guess as to why i don't know if you know wraith all that well no
1: i can't say either uh I don't know. No. Well, if if any of
0: you out there are are May- uh, sorry, uh, Wraith fans, let us know if you have any idea why they never got a Dark Ages version. Anyway, the way this is done is that uh, the Dark Ages Vampire book is the core book. You need it for all the other books, since the rules and everything surrounding the rules is not repeated. Obviously, this can be annoying if you just want to play mage or fae and don't want vampires involved. But I think it makes sense because it would always be the most popular game. Um, What's your take on doing it this way with having to buy vampires, the core book, in order to use the other races, if you want to call it that?
1: Well, I I think that if if you're into Dark Ages, uh, the, the gaming line, then you probably, or someone in your gaming group probably already owns... That particular book, so I I don't think it's a huge problem for for most of the players uh, or people playing rather, and I I think it's a good way to to save space and time and money for everyone involved in, in instead of just repeating the the core stuff, you can just go and look it up in the other books. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't really see a, a problem with it, and and. Sure, you you need to track two books instead of just one, but but on the other hand, you if if you're a serious role player, you're probably gonna have a ton of books books anyway. <laughs> so so yeah, I I don't see that, see that as as that much of a problem. No. Okay, so um, since
0: this is a core book, we're dividing it it into two parts, and this time it's part one. Of, of Dark Ages Mage. The book is written by Bill Bridges, Craig Blackwelder, David Bolak, Stephen Michael DePisa, Mer Lafferty, James Malachewski, John and Tara Maurer, and Matthew McFarlane, and developed by Bill Bridges. The cover is extremely simple. Like the vampire cover, it's just, you know, color, and then there's a symbol representing the supernatural type. In this case, it's a sort of, of cross talisman made of bone. Not much to say here for me. I do like the font they're using? Actually, I think that looks really cool. Um, as for the talisman, I I don't really have any connection to it. It's not as iconic as the Ankh is for vampires, but uh, you know they had, they had to have something on the cover.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree, and I was I was starting to to think because like you have the the Ankh for uh, for the vampires obviously, and for uh, for for werewolves, it usually the claw marks on the cover. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the one of the editions of the the books actually had like tears through the the, the cover. Yes, like, yes, yeah, that was so, so
0: cool. Uh, and the *Werewolf of the Wild West* book, instead of having claw tears on the cover, had a bullet hole going all the yeah, way through the book. That's that was right. really cool y- done.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm <laughs> I'm just thinking that um, I, I just realized that I don't know if there's anything iconic like that for the mage line so but but yeah i i can't really say that if this is supposed to be that or if it's just supposed to be like an amulet or something but but yeah it looks it looks kind of cool uh i don't know it it kind of looks like it's made of chicken bones which in a way is kind of fun but on the other hand we we do know that there were a bunch of of um, uh, relics not necessarily made from chicken bones but i think there there was uh, that pigs bones uh, were quite common to use as as forgeries when forging uh, um, 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 relics from from saints and stuff like that so it's it's not completely out of um, out of line for uh for medieval uh religious stuff or magical stuff which quite often overlapped
0: yeah, I, I think perhaps they were trying to represent each of the Mystic Fellowships in this um, yeah. in yeah. this thing with runes for the Valdemar and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's 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 it is what it is. As for the internal art uh, of the first half of the book, it's rather simplistic, and there are no pieces that really wowed me. But it's all pretty decent. And while there isn't much in the way of weapons, and there, I couldn't find any armor. The weapons that we do see are mostly historically correct, although they still don't give swords fullers. But I guess that's could be kind of hard to, to illustrate. The mm. only thing that really sticks out is the fantasy scimitar carried by the Batini on page 39. So I will say kudos, you know, really, really good looking. Um, do you have any specific comments on these pictures?
1: No, I, I, I'm kind of only the, in the same line as you are, that the one of the very first pictures or uh, first picture actually portraying someone on, what is it, page, it's one of the full, spra- full page uh, spreads, where you have uh, uh, two characters, one is being immolated by holy or unholy fire, and and they're wearing quite um, quite uh, practical clothes for for the time period. They uh, you had this in in this this part of the thirteenth century. You had this kind of fashion where where. Um, long, um, not not necessarily coats, but but like long flowing robes and stuff like that, and uh, with with cloaks uh, or capes over it was was quite fashionable uh, and and often quite simplistic. Um, you really didn't get the kind of of uh, buttons and form fittings that you got later on in the in the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries. So uh, yeah, it looks uh, lo- looks suitable enough. Um, it's and, and then, yeah, la- later on, the the um, when, when we get into the uh to the example characters, a few of them, like one, I think she's the one for uh for the shamans, basically. She has uh, a very um, she she has a very interesting kind of modern cleavage to her dress and everything like that. But <laughs> but overall, I i like the the looks of uh of the characters. Uh, a few of them are are kind of like stereotypical wizards, the, the kind of pointy hat stu- stuff stuff yeah. that you get. Which, if I'm, I, I'm not gonna say that it's it's only from from Nostradamus, uh, but there's there's a famous painting of him where he basically dressed up because he was getting um, he, he was getting a visit from from uh, uh, nobility or royalty, and and he was. Famed for being this kind of of uh, fortune teller and everything, and and he was getting a visit, and so he kind of basically had to dress the part, and so that's kind of where we get this uh, the the traditional look of of a wizard with with a long beard and a pointy hat and and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, but but yeah, overall, I, I I really like them. They're they're not exaggerated uh, in in any ways that are kind of over the top or anything like that. Uh, and and they're yeah they they're quite detailed and and they're they're um, nicely drawn uh, you don't really get the, the kind of like exaggerated amount of belts and and pouches and stuff that you we've seen <laughs> in some other places so uh, i I like it yeah we start with an intro story and I actually found that a lot more engaging than most of the intro stories
0: we have. I think that it did a nice way of of showing how a group of d- different mages might come together and it's well written. But whoever wrote it clearly doesn't know all that much about swordsmithing, uh, because swordsmithing is central to the story. And mm. we start with the main character being told to find the best blacksmith in the area to forge this sword that's going to be enchanted. But at this time, you couldn't just go to any village or town blacksmith, no matter how skilled, and have them forge a sword. Making blades was a specialized craft that specialized craftsmen practice um so so it you couldn't just go to even uh, a very very skilled smith who was used to making like even axes or stuff like that because swords just are that different yeah uh, and then there's the request that the sword should uh, easily cut through steel likely because the nobleman asking for it wants to cut through armor but nobody made armor of steel at that time it was all made of iron so it just it would make more sense if he asked for it to cut through iron it's it's a minor thing but
1: but yeah still. And, and you'd still need a lightsaber to be able to cut through even iron armor so so yeah it's uh, I it, mean I can understand why he says you know make
0: it magical so I will cleave straight through the armor of yeah. my enemies but then it would be through iron not through steel because yeah. nobody made made a, a armor of steel. Um, Then we have the fact that the blacksmith attaches the handle and pommel. That's something most uh, bladesmiths didn't do themselves. Fitting was usually handled by someone else. Mm. And finally, we have the fact that the sword is taken directly from the quench to be enchanted and then handed over to its new owner. Uh, A sword is never quenched fully finished. Once it's been quenched, you need grinding, sharpening, polishing to have a finished blade. Not to mention the fact that you need to temper it after the quench so that it's not brittle, if you take a sword that has been quenched, you finish it and you give it to someone, it's going to break in one of the very first blows because it's going to be brittle. Um, and this has been your bladesmithing lesson for the day. <laughs> uh, yeah. what what do you have to say?
1: Yeah, I, I was pretty much going to, to bring that up that the 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 story, like i I'm kind of mixed because the story in and of itself didn't really intrigue me. Um, I do like the fact that they kind of bring up blacksmithing as a kind of uh, a mystical uh, profession yeah. because there are a lot of, of um, myths and stories surrounding blacksmiths all over the world and, uh, and all through history. Um, what, what I didn't like was basically the things that you mentioned that, that they, um, all of the things they got wrong about blacksmithing uh, speaking of, on page 7 you have a, a picture of the smithy, uh, and there, it's a very modern anvil that, that the guy is using, it's very mm, large yeah. and it, it has a horn, uh, which you you really didn't have back then, uh, I, I can't say for sure when uh, those styles of, of anvils came around, but but basically an anvil, is, at least if it's made of metal uh, way back when uh, there was anvils made of stone because you basically just needed a hard surface to to pound on, uh, but but an anvil is an expensive piece of equipment since it uses so much material and it needs to be of rather high quality because you're going to basically pound it for for days at end or for years and and for centuries in some cases. Yeah. Um. So so you didn't you didn't make them larger than they need to be. Um, and and also his, the, the blacksmith is using a very uh, inefficient method where he's raising the, the uh, hammer above his head to strike. and And if you look at how blacksmiths work, usually they would have um, helpers who would did most of the pounding and and then they would do the, the kind of like the, the fine work. but uh, the reason why you have uh, or usually have very heavy hammers is so that you don't have to, swing them very hard or above your head. You basically just lift them and let the hammer fall and, and let the gravity do the work. But but yeah, that, that's kind of weird. They, they're they also quenching the, the blade in water and I think they started to uh, quench uh, blades in, in oil by this time, but uh, don't quote me on that. No, that's um, not...
0: I don't know when they shifted, but I mean, in this case, you could easily say that somebody's just being old-fashioned and yeah. thinking, you know my my father quenched in water, my grandfather quenched in water, so I'm quenching mm. in water as well but yeah i I don't know exactly when when oil quench
1: is starting coming in no so i'm 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 gonna give them a pass for that but uh, but all in all like the i again i I do like the fact that you use a blacksmith as as a kind of a, a magical person because there are so many stories uh, and and some of them have to do with kind of like tradition and some might be the way that. Uh, that blacksmiths kept their trade secrets. Like, for example, if you you can read recipes on on how to temper a blade, for example, and you need uh, stuff like like, uh, the the pale moonlight or uh, urine from from a virgin uh, and stuff like that. And, And some of these things... Are obviously just bullshit, but other things might be that. Well, if if I write down, it's it's kind of like with with you get the fencing manuals later on. That that you write something down in a kind of cryptic manner, so you need to know what you're doing to be able yeah. to solve the riddle, to know what you're doing, and and so um, perhaps the 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 mod that you use to uh, that's supposed to be from from uh, a graveyard, perhaps the The important thing isn't that it's from a graveyard, but perhaps that it's the right kind of mud that has the right properties to cool down the uh, the blade in a, in a certain manner, so that it doesn't, so that it tempers properly. For example, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so there are a lot of cool things you can do with blacksmiths, uh, and and I I like those aspects of this story. So the introduction is
0: fairly short, to the point, and it explains the concept Unlike of the book. Very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does not wander off into strange tangents like we sometimes do. Um, there I have is no idea sidebar. what you're talking
1: about. <laughs> uh,
0: there's a sidebar on Dark Ages Vampire and how it relates to this book. There's a lexicon which explains the new terms um, relating to mages. Um, in general, you know, I like this intro. It didn't spend... Any more time than it needed, and I think it gave
1: just a good introduction to the book. Mm, yeah, I agree. Uh, lexicons are always good. Uh, I like the fact that it's it's not really that long. It's it's what about a uh, dozen words or so, and like you you really capture the essence of the game with those. And and if you need a lot more words, then probably gonna forget half of them man it so. chapter one is called magic and medieval
0: and it mainly concerns european medieval sub- superstitions which in the world of dark ages might you know just be stitions there's nothing supernatural about them they, mm-hmm. they could easily work uh there's also a bit on the power of the christian church and a fairly long section on jewish faith-based magical beliefs as well as a short section on superstitions outside of europe and i absolutely love this chapter short Mm -hmm. as it is there is an unfortunate use of the slur gypsy where you would rather use have them use roma uh, though so be aware of that but uh, one might say that these superstitions some of them might actually be from later than the 13th century but humanity has always had so so many superstitions so something similar to the one that they're pointing out probably existed and you know i mean i'm 100 percent an atheist but i have lucky dyson i've switched d20s mid games because one die rolled poorly so it doesn't matter what um how how much you don't believe in the supernatural you will always have superstitions i mean i'm guaranteeing that 99 percent plus of all of our listeners will have stories of their own dice superstitions Yeah, yeah um so anyway i think this chapter is great not just for mage but in general giving information that can uh make the setting come alive the storyteller can have npcs use these superstitions but the players can have their own characters use them as well and from time to time they might work even in the hands of someone who's not a mage so really thumbs up for this chapter this is a Great chapter for getting into the Middle Ages.
1: Yeah, I I agree, um, and, and especially about what you said that that uh, some of these things might be from uh, from a later period. But but uh, again, as you mentioned, some things are like or most things or a lot of things are are just reworkings of 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 older traditions, and and that goes way back. We have like a lot of the. Characteristics of Odin, for example, uh, goes back to to uh, Zeus in uh, in Greek mythology, uh, like both of them being feminizing asshats, basically, <laughs> uh, and and um, and and so it's it's kind of cool to see, and and especially if if uh, uh, if if you move on, if you have a chronicle that that uh, spans um, a long period of time. Uh, I was looking through my my reference library of, of uh, basically folklore and and myths and um, and and you have uh, and I think I mentioned this before, but I mention it again since it it's relevant again that you you have um, examples of of, of stories uh, showing up much later than than you would imagine. Like so, for example, uh, Odin and the Norse gods were still around as a part of the folklore in, in 19th century Sweden, when when the country had been Christian for, for centuries. Uh, but it was still like, you, you still have the kind of stories where, where a hunter out in the woods uh, could meet Odin, who's also out hunting, and they would strike a deal for for good luck from, from when shooting. Uh, and, and what's interesting, I think, is that, at, um, at, at least in some stories, Odin is depicted... Uh, using uh, some kind of musket rifle uh, so so I guess he he updated his spear to to something more modern uh, which is kind of cool for like good for him for keeping up with with the times but um, but yeah it's it's um, things don't just, just because you get new stories and and new myths and new gods doesn't mean that the old ones uh, go away and um, and and one of the best examples for that, I think, uh, and without being uh, too political about it, is is that, uh, for example, in uh, in Kiev you have the the independence monument uh, with, with with the figure of, of uh, uh, a, a an old Slavic deity and forgive my pronunciation uh, Berenija. Uh, which again, uh, the Ukraine is is a uh, Christian country and has been for for centuries. But they still have their kind of folk- folklore and everything uh, going on. And and you have that all over the world. Uh, in like the, the the old stuff was still kept around because. If not necessarily part of superstition, but as part of folklore and culture, basically. So, so yeah, you can you can do a lot of fun stuff with with those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, uh, and the great thing is when if you come across any examples of old superstitions, old spells, things like that, mm. you can just incorporate them into this, and you can say, well, my, uh, I've just found this cool thing, and that's what my Character is using for this particular type of magic, and it really makes it come alive and integrates it into the real world history, which is why I think this chapter is so great. It's because it gives us these examples of what people believed in the real world, and it just makes the whole thing come alive and. This is why I love playing in a historical setting is to experience that historical setting yeah. so now that they're giving us so much information of how real world history was, I feel like I can really I can really make this setting
1: more believable i I also like how you can see um, and this is more for for me as a player uh, or as a person rather than than as someone playing the game but but I, I also like how how we can see things and how they have gone from from having real-world power, or at least people believing them having power, to to becoming some something completely different. Uh, for example, they um, during the the uh, section on on uh, Jewish mysticism and magic, they have um, examples of of magic squares, including a a number square which is uh, basically, it's a, um, it's a square divided in, in nine smaller squares. And uh, no matter how you read it, you can read it, um, it, it has the numbers one to nine in it. And no matter how you read it, um, up or down or across or diagonally, uh, it always adds up to 15. And I remember, like, that's that's that was a puzzle we did back in, in like, Second grade, that we we were giving a, 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 the the task of figuring out how we could uh, put those numbers in that that square so that they would all add up to the same thing, uh, and so it has gone from basically a a magical amulet to a children's game, which is kind and of interesting. And now it's become Sudoku. Yeah, exactly. And now it's ex- exactly. And now it's Sudoku. Uh, and also the the. The Sator square uh, is, is also very interesting to me and I think it's fun because um, the Sator square is uh, it's a five times five square with the words Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, Rotas uh, and if if you see it in front of you or if you're really good at, at following uh, then you realize that those words can be read in all manners of way across that, uh, that square and it's been found i think the oldest one found is from pompeii so it's been around from uh, at least from the romans uh, mm. it's, it also shows up in uh, let me see in on a, a runestone uh, from from the 14th century in narke which is smack dab middle of sweden uh, which is interesting because it's it's a runic sator square <laughs> from the 14th century when uh, when christian christianity had had really become a part of sweden uh, but but you still had people using runes uh, and and there's also a a silver cup uh, that was found uh, on gotland uh, that had the uh, a satyr squared carved in and and you can tell that it's been done um, it wasn't part of a, as an original decoration of the cup. But it was done later on, um, and that that cup might have been produced in I think it was Turkey, uh, um, and at around the eleventh century. But it's it's kind of hard to say. But but again, so it's, you have a silver cup from from the Middle East going up to an island of Gotland, and and at some point someone has made a satyr square in it. Um, so so you have. There, there are so many cool things that that keeps going and, and like why are people doing this and and I feel that mage is, is a really good game to uh, to set in this time period because you have, have all of these cool things. Um, and And speaking just of, of runes and everything I, I just just the other week uh, they they're doing some archaeological digs in Uppsala because they're rebuilding one of the squares. Uh, and they found a a shoe uh, dating. They haven't been able to date it exactly, but it's it's from somewhere uh, from the thirteenth uh, to fifteenth century, and it has uh, what could be a couple of runes on it. Uh, and and it might be. It's probably just someone's name. Um, they only found the one shoe, um, and so uh, and and it. So it might just might be someone's initials or or markings on it. Uh, it, it could be runes or it could be um, more Latinized, stylized letters. But it, it's still kind of cool that, that people were were probably using them uh, for for many centuries after the, the uh, paganism had officially left Sweden. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's your archaeological update for this episode. <laughs> and, and people may think, well, how much did they actually believe in this? But
0: you have to remember, this was a time where where people didn't understand the world the same way we do because mm. they there just hadn't been that much science done. So for them, in most cases, you know these things I mean they were they were true. Sometimes they might have thought I have I don't know if this works, but it might sometimes they may have thought this probably doesn't work, but I, I'm gonna do it anyway just in case it works and in some cases they're absolutely going to have thought, this 100% works. And these superstitions, they thrived next to Christianity. Even the kind of superstitions that were either contradictory to the Bible or might be seen as heretical or were pagan traditions, they existed side by side with Christianity and the local parish priest wasn't going to complain about it, not only because that would annoy people, but also because they didn't see any problem with it. As long as people went to church and prayed and paid the tithe and everything, then it didn't matter that they also had these folk beliefs that they interacted quite nicely with Christianity.
1: Yeah, and and just to add on a bit to to what you mentioned, uh, that if things worked or not, sometimes you do something and they work, but for a completely different reason than why you oh, think yes. it works. Uh, so again, back to, to blacksmithing and um, and also architecture in in general that that you often talk about sacred geometries, uh, and uh, and and you have like kind of the the proportions between um, between different things. And there's uh, the the Swedish blacksmith uh, Peter Johnson, who who is a really good swordsmith. Uh, he's um, he, he's been uh, proposing a theory that um, that the kind of, of um, geometry and symmetry that that you see in um, often in kind of religious contexts, like like when building cathedrals, can be translated into, for example, uh, swordsmithing. Uh, because like in instead of of having um, kind of blueprints on on how to make a good sword you you could have like uh, proportions and and symmetry like if if you have um, if you have a blade that is uh, X amount times longer than the handle uh, in a way that corresponds to also the, the the thickness of the pommel or the width of the pommel and the width of the um, of the crossbars, then you would get a a blade uh, or a sword that you could swing e- easily and is ban- balanced properly and so on, and and those proportions would often be uh, connected, possibly as a m- m- mnemonic uh, or or just uh, as a way to kind of see religion and geometry and and symmetry and all things. You you could see like um, the the same kind of of. Um, proportions, like, between the... And I feel I'm rambling on. Again, I'm going to blame the fever for this one. But, uh, hmm. but like, if you get the proper proportions between something, not, not only are you getting the good handling characteristics, but you're also getting the kind of, like, the the, the purity or, or the holiness of something. Uh, and and the reason for that is, well, in, in some situations, like, if you're building a... An arch, for example, in a cathedral, then you would probably wouldn't want too much weight on it. So the weight to to support uh, um, proportions uh, or ratio uh, in that particular arc might correspond to something that fits good. Uh, in in for example the number of angels or or the the, the holy trinity or or you have other holy sim, uh, numbers and stuff like that so so like math could be in a way uh, uh, magical or or a holy language that you would yeah. then translate because you didn't like you, you you don't have to mess about with well I need to have the display to be exactly. Uh, 34 inches long because you don't have a measuring device that that's uh, exact but you know that if if you make the the crossbar a an eighth of the complete length then you're at least on a good way to to getting somewhere um, yeah and uh, I, as someone who's been to a,
0: a PhD lecture in math Uh, that is definitely a a magical language. I really understood, like, nothing there. Um, Quite interesting, but I... I, Yeah, they they could have been speaking Swahili for all I I cared. So, um, chapter two introduces the six mystic fellowships, which are analogous to the 13 clans of vampires. You know, your your splats, as I believe it's called. Um, Mm. We start off with a general introduction to the whole concept of... Magical fellowships and wizards, and a section on forming cabals, coteries for mages, and then we end with a table showing the degrees of in- attainment. With the classical one being the Order of Hermes, which uses apprentice, discipline, adept, and master. The one for the Valdermen, the um, the Viking, vam- uh, sorry, Viking mages. That's a bit odd because it goes goes Thane, Karl, konungor. But Thane is a semi-noble retainer to a lord, while a karl is just a freeman. Yeah. So if, if you were looking at the mortal ranks, then a Thane, sure, they serve someone, but they still rank higher than a, than a karl, who is, is just a freeman and not a noble. Um so I, I don't know if they went for Thane because that is an example of someone who serves a person, but in that case I think they should have gone for Huskarl because that's the perfect example of a retainer, someone who serves someone
1: else. Yeah, it but it, it should still be above or, or the Thane should still be above the Huskarl, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. So they could have gone Huskal Kal
0: Thane Konungor or whatever. Yeah,
1: exactly. Just just, just just switch them around. But but yeah, it's it doesn't it's kinda of weird. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, we then get into the description of the fellowships, and each of them gets six pages, which is really nice because they are pretty new. I mean, uh, one of them exists in modern-day mage as well, the Order of Hermes, and the other ones have sort of different versions in modern day. I'm Mage is not my strong suit. But, but so they they are relatively new, whereas the vampire clans, they were still the same, more or less the same vampire clan. So six pages each, I think is, it's very nice to get that amount of information. Um, and since there are only six fellowships, they have the space to put in a lot of information. Um, the first fellowship is the Al-Ibatin, the subtle ones, who believe in unity and that in the end, all things are one their philosophy has actually has some buddhist overtones to me uh, but a lot of other philosophies are involved they're good with things like mind magic since all minds are one and teleportation magic since all places are one and they've really taken to islam since it's it's extremely monotheistic and they like the idea of there being one god and only one god i had some trouble getting my head around their beliefs to begin with and they have been saddled a little bit with the sort of Middle Eastern assassin vibe mm. but overall uh, I'm I'm starting to think that they're quite interesting and I think their description just a good does a good job of tying them into the history of Middle East uh, of the Middle East and Persia um, what did you think about them
1: yeah yeah I, I kind of agree that that they're kind of the the mystical Eastern uh, kind of I don't know if you should call it stereotype but but grouping or, or faction at least. Uh, and and yeah I, I agree that they do have some some Buddhist overtones they they do mention that that some of the precursors come from China India and Persia Persia so it it kind of makes sense um, over overall I'm, I'm I'm finding it a bit difficult to have really kind of any any strong opinions on this since I haven't really played it and it, it's such a new system uh, but like my my kind of gut reactions is that they um they aren't as problematic as for example the first edition asamtes were exactly but, but yeah. you should probably like I I would be careful not to overdo overdo these people as as kind of the stereotypical like Eastern magi um Eastern mysticists kind of thing because that's that would probably get boring really quick um it's yeah. they like for, at least from what I can tell and please correct me if if uh, uh, i get it wrong dear listeners but but it seems to be done with at least uh, a modicum of respect and and uh, thought put through it uh, which unfortunately going back to a previous chapter you can't really say about the when when you get you, you got all the kind of superstitions from from europe and and jewish mis- mysticism and stuff like that and then you basically just got a, a small section called African superstitions, and, <laughs> yeah. and and lumping together the entire continent of Africa into one, especially when they mix so so completely different. Like they talk about um, Anubis, the god of the dead, in the same uh, in in the same section as as they talk about uh, Zulus and and Xhosa. Uh, again, part of my pronunciation, because like those are from completely different parts of, of Africa, so it, it kind of feels like an afterthought, and and just just lumping those everywhere, lumping all of Africa together in, in one small section really doesn't do it any favours, and especially since you have so much interesting stuff there, you could have expanded it a bit, I think.
0: Exactly, I mean, if, if, they should have just left it alone. If they weren't going to actually take some time to to talk about it they should have just left it alone and and, and have mentioned that that's going to be in in a source book or something like mm. that because yeah like you said africa is a big place yeah. with a lot of different cultures so um so next we have the messianic voices the christian mages who believe their magic is an extension of the will of god they try to make them a bit broader saying that other abrahamic believers can be part of the voices, Mm. uh, but they will always be subservient to the Christian faction, which is the most powerful in the Messianic voices. Um, They also make them more interesting by essentially making them heretics with an older approach to Christianity than the current um, Catholic dogma. All in all, I think this fellowship makes sense since, you know, Christianity is such a dominant religion. And I think you're going to have a lot of fun with them. But as a game master, you really need to make uh, sure that people don't fall into the trap of making these oversellers and intolerant crusaders. Unless, of course, that's what the campaign is about. I mean, yeah. you could still have fun with, <clears throat> with a bunch of, of Christian mages rampaging through pagan areas if that is what you want to focus on. And, and the cost of doing that... Um, so so I, I you know I can I can see uh, what they are just game masters be careful that that people don't take their own ideas or prejudices about Christianity into into this fellowship yeah
1: that that couldn't be rather bad I I also think it's it's kind of um, interesting and and kind of telling that their their favored uh, attributes are uh, Charisma and wits and and not intelligence, and I, I think that is <laughs> this uh, rather fitting for uh, for a messianic order there, where where they kind of uh, propose the idea of, of like a a messiah being a savior because of and of course this could be said for all religions but but the fact that that you especially in a messianic uh, kind of tradition you you um, prefer or promote charisma and wits over intelligence is is kind of telling and i i really like that of course it, there's nothing stopping you from from making a, a messianic mage who also has a bit of of intelligence but but again we're there these are kind of supposed to be stereotypes or or kind of Ways archetypes, to, yeah, archetypes is a much better word. Thank you, uh, but but yeah, it's um, uh, it's an interesting one. And as you say, they they could uh, to 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 be fair, I, I kind of see uh, these guys having kind of the same problem as as the previous ones, as as the more um, uh, Eastern uh, archetypes. That that you could really get this kind of uh, holy Inquisition, uh, burn the heretic kind of vibe from these if they aren't played or portrayed correctly, uh, which is kind of fair, I think. So, so yeah. yeah. So, uh, following the Christians,
0: we get the pagans, the old faith. Uh, While well, they managed to avoid making these guys medieval Wiccans, there's just something about the description that never quite clicked with me. I don't know if they just feel a little too stereotypical. You know, pagans who believe they were gifted their power from one of more of their gods and need to ensure that humanity stays in tune with nature. Or maybe it's because they're trying to lump so many different mm. belief systems together. Yes, the, the pagan beliefs throughout Europe, you can trace a common thread through them. It's quite clear um, how Greek... Belief inspired Roman belief inspired both Slavic and Nordic and um, Celtic beliefs in the British Isles and stuff like that. But they're still very different cultural uh, religions, and and lumping them together under one umbrella, there was just something about the,
1: them that didn't write, that didn't just do it for me. It it, it it didn't work for me. Yeah, I I agree, and and you really put a finger on on. The, the sore spot is is that it's it feels like it's it's too much just lumped together um and and also just them throwing all of the kind of of the i don't know almost hippie like nature version of of beliefs together and and like yeah let's just call it the old faith it's yeah the the rather uninteresting is is kind yeah of exactly
0: that yeah, that's probably the best description of, of them. They 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 don't really spark interest. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, next we have the Order of Hermes. As and as an old Ars Magica player, it was fun reading just how much they have repeated uh, from Ars Magica here, how much inf- inspiration they've taken about it. Uh, I'd actually like to get your initial take on them because I keep conflating uh, the information here with what I know from Ars Magica. So I'm I'm,
1: I'm kind of having trouble really seeing them just in this book. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I I like them. I think they the, um they have a really interesting symbol or seal, which which I really like because it has a whole bunch of um, mystical and and alchemical uh, symbols. Well, not not hidden in it, but put in it. And and I really like when you can look for the Easter eggs. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you have an onk and you have. Uh, an alchemical symbol for oh, is it is it mercury? I think it is. Uh, please. Uh, it would make sense
0: since you know mercury Hermes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and you have an apple that could be the apple of discord, and then you also have um, a fasces, which is the the kind of. Um, axe in a, a bundle of twigs that was the symbol of uh, of the Roman uh, government which later on become became the the symbol of the fascists where which is where they got the name from and they have dragons uh, and and so you have all these symbols of, of different kinds of power just thrown in there and and what's funny is that if you look at uh, at uh, alchemy and and magical texts from uh, from the medieval period and later on, they they would have all this symbology in it, so it it makes uh, kind of perfect sense to have it. Um, and and of course, the the order of Hermes feels like kind of the the quintessential um, kind of stereotypical uh, mage order where where you have the the people in the laboratories or or running around digging for magical artifacts or or doing uh, kind of rituals in in uh on uh, in Stonehenge or whatever so yeah it's i don't know like on on the top of my mind I would probably want to play these guys uh, yeah like they they would be my first choice they are really the classical alchemy wizards yeah um
0: manipulating the elements all that sort of stuff yeah they, are, they, they I, I i love them so yeah. much
1: and and also it it feels in a way that that. You, you could also have them the most kind of diverse uh, at least group playing group in it like like not everyone has to be a druid or or a a a, um, a, a viking sage or whatever, or seer uh, but but like it it feels that the order of hermes is big enough that you can have different kinds of of characters in it and it would still make sense that that they would uh that that they would be a part of the same order uh while at the same time uh permitting leeway enough for for the players to make different kind of, like personalized characters. And it's fun funny that you
0: say that because obviously they originated in As Magicica, and in Asmagica mm. there's like I think it's thirteen different houses with each very different uh, types of personalities mm. that attract people to that house. So yeah, they are very, very diverse. And of course, uh, in in the world of darkness, one of those houses, the Tremere yeah. or Tremere, as it's actually supposed to be pronounced, um, they they then became vampires and stuff like that. So yeah, the the Order of Hermes, they are, they have the most material to draw upon, and I think that really comes through here. Um, then we have the spirit talkers, who might actually be my favorite among the fellowships. I love how they show that shamanistic and animistic beliefs did exist in Europe. It's yeah. not just you know um, in in places outside of Europe, as I think a lot of people tend to sort of instinctually believe believe uh, before they really start thinking about it. They they managed to ensure that um, that spirit talkers can exist even in long Christianized areas, either as wise men and women, or as people who believe they speak to angels, saints, and the spirits of the dead. Um, I think their overall beliefs and philosophies are well explained, and this fellowship just seems
1: really cool. Yeah, I, 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 I they work a lot better than the old faith. Uh, I feel that they have a bit of an overlap, but these are more the kinds, like, like these are actually functioning. You could do something with this. People and, and as you mentioned, there are so many, um, there there's there so so much uh, spiritism and and uh, animalism in medieval Europe. Uh, if if nothing else, you have the the Noid of, of the Sami, which are basically their medicine men and and shaman's is is probably the easiest way to translate yeah. it. And and um,
0: we we mentioned we mentioned those um last time when we spoke about mm. the, the Sami people in dark ages Europe and actually one of our listeners and I think you know who uh, <laughs> contacted us and, and mentioned that that because we talked about the Noyad as uh, this bloodline and she mentioned that they yeah noyad was actually their uh, wise men uh, and women their yeah. shamans. So uh, so that's where this whole Idea of the name for the bloodline came from.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of, I I also want to point out that uh, uh, that you mentioned that a cool thing about them was that it wasn't just holy men; there were also holy women uh, that were allowed to do the or that did the the magical and religious and spiritual parts of of being annoyed, uh which is quite different from from most or not most but but from example Christianity where at this point uh, women couldn't become priests for example which so so you have that aspect and and we're probably gonna touch it more I think in the second uh, part of uh, yeah uh, but but the fact that that you have a kind of equality or at least it's you can play a female character without it at least not being an active hindrance. For, for having access to that kind of of magic and and uh, mysticism, uh, and and so so yeah, it's I I do feel that they are uh, a bit more interesting and and playable if if that's the right word yeah. than compared to the old faith. Yeah, I think these these also they encourage
0: uh, you to step outside the stereotypes mm. because when you get into Uh, The later ages, when uh, Europeans really get into contact with uh, the Americas, with sub-Saharan Africa, with the further east, there's a tendency to portray... Uh, the shamanistic, animistic people as these, you know, uh, uh, savages, often noble savages, and the wise men who know the world better because they come from a simpler culture. But here they pretty much enforce the idea that you have to take the shamanistic, animistic uh, animistic, uh, ideas and then impose them on Western Europe. Mm. And I think that's a great way to make people think about these type of beliefs in a different way because all of a sudden it, it gets a bit more uh you know in your own in your own neighborhood.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree.
0: So uh, the last fellowship are the Waltermen, the men of power, and they really confuse me. And they're basically viking mages and I can't figure out why they aren't just a part
1: of the old faith. Yeah, I I think because they wanted the vikings to be their own thing. Yes. Uh,
0: exactly i think that's that's the vikings were cool so they wanted viking mages but seriously the old faith are united in the fact that they have these european pagan religious beliefs yeah and the norse beliefs were not so different from the celtic or the slavic beliefs
1: they should just have been old faith i think this is a case of you know the whole viking romance idea yeah probably and and also speaking of, of viking romance in imagery i'm i'm just going to point out that their their symbol or seal is is kind of problematic because it's it's basically a swastika uh, and 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 an S rune uh, and some other decorations i i i know that it's not a, a nazi symbol and it shouldn't be used as that one but i would probably change it a bit uh Yeah. on just, the side of caution just, just yeah, exactly. Because it's uh, yeah, uh, things were different back when this book was written. Uh, but 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 yeah, I I agree that I I really don't see a reason for for why they should like like if if they would have included the Valderman or or the the uh, Asatrú in the old faith, it would probably be. In more interesting in a way, and and you could do more things with it because then you could actually play up, like for example, the, the similarities between Odin and Zeus, uh, and and uh, and and the other deities. You have Skada, yeah. which was actually a giantess, but she was also kind of a she married a god, so uh, so she she was kind of part of, part of the um, uh, Asir. Uh, pantheon anyways and she's really similar to to greeks uh, the greeks artemis mm. um because they both like running around and being outdoorsy women and and shoot people with bows um, <laughs> but 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 yeah so so you have um yeah yeah i i, I don't really see the point of them being no they're, they're different faction yeah i mean they do give a decent description of
0: Norse magical beliefs though they they mess up a bit when it comes to gender roles be- uh, at least as far yeah. as i know gender roles and norse magic runecraft was the male magic uh Spoh and scyther was the female magic uh, but yeah you, you also get a decent description of norse culture and stuff like that so if the old faith didn't exist they'd be perfect uh, but they should have either been a part of the old faith or you should have broken the old faith up more it it really just yeah. seems like vikings are cool we need Viking mages to be their own yeah. thing, and they do try yeah. to make them their own thing. But still, it's
1: yeah, it yeah, it, 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 it seems it is, strange. Yeah, and and uh, they they do touch upon some really interesting things and and some cool things that that uh, can run through popular culture. Like for example, you have uh, they they talk about uh, shapeshifters and and uh, which which was a big like people changing their uh, or. or shape-shifting was a big thing in, in Norse mythology and, and the gods did it and everyone did it and, and that that kind of thing uh, kind of goes again. Uh, Tolkien, for obvious reasons, was quite inspired by, by a lot of, of ancient mythology and so um, Beorn, for example, uh, is a shape-shifter uh, in, in uh, The Hobbit uh, and, and that is pretty much just lifted straight out of, of Norse mythology which is a cool thing. Um, Basically, everything Tolkien did was a cool thing. but uh, Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so you have a lot of interesting things to work with, but they could have done something better with it. Tolkien did it better, is probably <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: And finally, Chapter 3, which is character creation. Uh, we start with some advice on how to think about your character, uh, as well as the group, the cabal that they're going to be part of. I like this because all too often I think people think more about creating the kind of concept that they want without considering things like their background before becoming what they are now and how that will fit into the group so it's always nice to have these things just you know telling people just remember how did you get to this point and how do you fit into the group Mm -hmm. um we then go to onto the nuts and bolts and a lot of it's obviously uh, you know, like creating a character in Vampire, they're just some new traits. There are three new abilities, one talent and two knowledges, and two of those, Awareness and Enigmas, they actually become part of Vampire, the 20th anniversary edition, as as core um, abilities, uh, which is, is kind of funny. And the last one is Cosmology, and that just makes sense because they include realms other than just... Earth. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, nothing there. Um, then there's backgrounds, and obviously some of the ones from Vampire do not apply, your Generation and Herd and stuff like that. There's a bunch of new ones added, and in fact there are so many added that it feels a bit like a starting character might have a little too few background points to play with because there's just so many backgrounds, and several of them are backgrounds that you can't really get after character creation. So yeah. I think they should have either reduced the number or have given it a, a few more points Um, It can be alleviated by pooling backgrounds, which Mm. also has the advantage, obviously, of tying the group together. Um, The new ones are Chantry, which is similar to Domain, Cray, which is a source of magical power, Destiny, that's pretty self-explanatory, Familia, which is a magical creature that serves you, Fount, which allows the wizard to store and channel more magical power, Library, once again self-explanatory, Sanctum, which is a place that allows you to work magic more easily and servants, which can be either emotional or magical creatures, and I love the fact that they've included... Yeah, you can have magical creatures. You can have, like, zombies, if that fits the kind of magic you're doing. Yeah. Um, and finally, talisman, which is a magical item, basically. Um, of these... Uh, the one that I want to point out is a library, which costs twice what other backgrounds cost, but allows the character to reduce the XP cost of buying up the magical powers. And I'm not really a fan of something that uh, that messes with the game in this way. I, I I don't like you know this this kind of breaking the mold for other yeah. things. So that that that's maybe that's just me. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, just briefly I want to mention that mm. um, they have this, this talisman background. And often White Wolf books, when they have this uh, quote-unquote magical item, they're very, very bad at giving examples. Now, they later in the book have a lot of examples of magical mm. items, but they don't put dots to them. So it's, it's still kind of hard to figure out what exactly you
1: get for your dots. But, but sorry, yeah, you wanted to, to say yeah, something. It- yeah just just touching upon the the whole library thing I I completely agree with that and it's it's a bit weird that basically you couldn't buy a premium to pay less later on and it doesn't really make any sense. Um I I do like the idea of the library but I think it could be uh, incorporated in perhaps the sanctum or one of the yeah um w- one of the other ones uh so but but it uh what I would like to just mention about when when it comes to the library, because it's it's supposed to be your uh, like your source of knowledge, and of course they just mention books or or they don't mention just books, but but like uh, they they do mention books, and but remember that there are more than just books. They do, they do mention an inscribed cave wall left yeah. on the stuff for centuries, which is which is also kind of cool. But as as I mentioned previously, like it could be well it would be a pretty uh, cheap in in points cost if it was just a pair of shoes but like you could you could have anything that you can write on or that could have some kind of meaning could theoretically act as your library like if it's if it's a, a shoe with with a magical symbol inscribed upon it or is is it a, a rune staff that you found in a forest like if, well, if you is tattooed on you yeah, exactly. Like it, it, could be, or it could just be a piece of tattooed skin that you found somewhere, or that <laughs> you like, took from like, someone. Um. Yeah, exactly. Like so. So, if you're going to use this, just just think of all the things that could be used as a source of information. Um, a, a, a pictorial stone could could just as easily be a, a quote-unquote book or tomb. As something written down with a quill and ink, yeah, um, exactly. But but yeah, I, I completely agree that that there are perhaps a bit too many, uh, and so I would I would probably find a way to to boil a lot of these things down and perhaps combine them, uh, because that was kind of a thing that I, as someone who hasn't really played or haven't played mage kind of found with this whole thing and and we're going to to talk about this more in the next uh, part as well but there's it's it's quite a complicated system yeah it it is but uh, so you need someone you need a good if nothing else you need a good storyteller to to kind of guide you (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so we we end with a short
0: section on quintessence which is quintessence which is the magical power that mages use, kind of like vampires use blood. Uh, how mages' aura work, XP cost, and then we end with merits and flaws. Um, do you have any comments to this uh, last thing here?
1: No, I I think that most of the merits and flaws. I haven't looked through all of them really in in depth, but uh, I I do like uh, what I've seen. Uh, like that that you can kind of. Yeah, they a lot of them make sense. They they seem to be fairly balanced and and useful uh, because there's like they, there are so many things or, or rather there are so many merits and flaws in in other books that either you just take them because they're really really awesome and and it's like they're really unbalanced or you just take them because you take them as flaws because you know that they're, they're basically just free points and they're never going to affect. The game that you play in, uh, so I think it's it's nice to see that um, there there are some like you you can actually use them in game and you can use them you you, you can actually use them for role playing purposes and not just as yeah. mechanical advantages or disadvantages. Yeah. I also really like there's a sidebar on mages
0: have what's called pillars which uh, each each fellowship has four pillars which define their magic and then there's a sidebar but what if you want more pillars and it's basically i mean come on work with what you got Mm. it's it's it spends more time putting it like that but i like that they're saying don't 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 start getting uh, too much ahead of yourself because what's actually written just try using that and, and use what you got. And I think, yeah, I mean if you're creative then you can get a lot out of that. Yeah,
1: and, and I think that's one of the charms and the challenges about this game is is that it's 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 not as easy as I want to throw fireball, therefore I roll these dice. It's it's more like you, you have to you and the storyteller kind of have to come up with things for yourself on or, or, or how to you're you're giving a toolbox yeah, And and then it's up to you to solve the problem. And that can be really good. It can also just devolve into, I have a hammer, so I'm going to treat every problem as a nail.
0: Yeah, exactly. I remember um, I was doing Danish podcast. I was being interviewed a while ago. And I, I said about Modern Day Mage that one of the reasons I didn't like it is that it felt... More like an extended philosophy discussion between you and the
1: storyteller than it did an actual game. <laughs> but but w- while we're at while we're in this chapter, we need to talk about the picture on page eighty six because I had almost forgotten about it. Which picture is that? Remind me. Uh, it's it's the one with the horned helmet. Uh, uh,
0: that is a um, that is a cult or religious or uh, magical artifact that the person uses to channel his magic. That's my that's my definition of it. Otherwise, I'm gonna rant.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so so I'm not gonna get you started. But but what's interesting is that 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 horned helmet is, as you say, yeah, we we're not even going to get into it because it, it just looks really really weird. But if you look in in the right corner instead, where you see the guy who has a, a nice round shield and, and wielding an axe, yes, he actually has a helmet that that looks a lot better because it looks like the kind of Vendel uh, style helmets that you found from um, from from like what is it the fifth or sixth gen- something century something like that yeah just before the uh, Viking Age yeah so so it you you have like the you have like a really really good example and then you have a really really bad example in the same picture and for some reason they put the really horrible one more in the center stage than, than the really good in this one. Book,
0: in, if, in this book, if in no other book, they can always say a wizard did it. And this is, he's yeah. wearing this for ritual
1: purposes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm going to let it slide for this time, but you're but absolutely yeah, it's, right. It's, it's yeah.
0: If, if, if it's a piece of armor, then it's crap. Yeah. So that was the first part of this book. Uh, I'm going to withhold, withhold full judgment until we have finished the entire book. But so far I think it's pretty solid. Um, as mentioned, I really loved chapter one with the information on various beliefs and superstitions. Uh, there were several fellowships that never really caught my attention fully, but then there were only six of them and there are some clans that I'm not a big fan of. So, uh, you know, th- there, there will always be some that you aren't really going to be drawn to. Uh, but what do you have to say about this first part of the book?
1: Well, so far so good, I have to say. I, I liked most of it, uh, except for the few things that, that we've been commenting on. Uh, and uh, again, like it, it feels like it has a lot of potential, but it requires the right group and the right mindset, I think. But I'm, I'm going to leave my full judgment until we've done both parts. Yes. Uh, next time we will finish the Mage book and see
0: how it stacks up. Uh, Remember, if you want to support the channel, we have a Patreon. And if you have comments, suggestions or critique, you can pop by our Facebook page. Uh, Now, normally I ask if you have any last comments before we sign off, but I will just have some last comments and I want to get a little bit political. I want to say, screw Vladimir Putin and Mm. his uh, followers. We stand with Ukraine.
1: Yes, yes, we do. And just, just pointing out that this is not a war between the Russian and the Ukraine peoples this is a war of aggression from vladimir putin and his cronies against both the ukrainian people and his own people because he's been cracking down on peaceful protests against the war in his own country and and thousands of people has been uh, arrested just for standing up for peace so so yeah he he can go f himself exactly and, and- or Given the time period that we
0: are covering, maybe we should say we stand with Ruthenia, which is one of the old names for Ukraine. But other than that, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, No, thank you. Not this time. (laughs) Excellent. And so it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.